0: Okay, um, let's try and start this party, you noisy rabble. Um, Good morning, everyone. My name's Stuart. If you haven't met me, I'm the leader here at Real Life Church. I want to welcome you all uh, today. Okay, um, let's go. Where were we? Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. We've been... um, uh, looking at the book of Ephesians now for a number of months and we're coming just on to the next section we're going to finish this final part um, in Ephesians chapter 2 before we do that I, just, I was thinking of something what can illustrate what I'm going to talk about uh, this morning and I, this is the best I came up with so run with me on this one I don't know what your memories of growing up are but my one one of my ones where I lived for most of my childhood was in a house with my parents and in the garden, we had um, some fruit trees. We had two plum trees, which were kind of just in the left of the back garden. And every year, they would do what plum trees do, and they would produce plums. And it would happen every year without fail, and we would have plums by the tonne. By the time they would be, we'd have you, and we'd have plum crumble, and you'd have plums with yogurt and plums on your ice cream, and there would be plums everywhere. So much so, we had so many plums that I remember Dad and Mum, they would get one of the wheelbarrow, Dad had a big old metal wheelbarrow, they would fill it with some of the plums that we weren't eating. They would put it out the front of our house, and there would be a sign on the front saying, please help yourself with the please underlined kind of written bold and a kind of a, a pile of sort of carrier bags if you wanted to help yourself and take them around. And we would, sometimes we'd be standing there and people would like walk past. We live on the corner of sort of this street where a lot of people would walk down to the village and back again. And we'd be out there and saying, please help yourself to, pl-. it came almost like plum stalkers. You know, please, and they'd walk up, please take some plums. And people would like to say, oh, we'll have one. And no, take the bag, fill the bag, take them away. And we would have so many plums um, almost we didn't know what to do is, but it would just be the result of having two very fruitful trees in our gardens and they'd produce plum every, you know, every time of year uh, without fail. And what we're looking today in Ephesians, in this last kind of part of, of this section, is the results or the outworking of what God has done in our lives. We've seen um, the first sort of section, verses 1 and 2, we, we read the, the bad news about our situation, what God, um, how God saw us. Um, which was terrible. Then we have good news of God's active grace in our life. And then this final section is the outworking of that. What's the result? What's the fruit, if you will? God has changed us from this terrible situation to this positive situation, but what's the result of that? Cause and effect, what happens out the back of that? And as we read the passage, we're going to see that there is a fruit, there is an outworking, and it is um, a manifestation of what God has done in our lives in, in, in good works, in in things that we are to do, we are to bear on behalf of God. And so I'm just going to read the first section and we'll go through the bad news, the good news, and then we'll see the results at the end. So chapter 2, starting at verse 1. It says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. We were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, you have been saved, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places, in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Okay, a few weeks back was the bad news. Verses 1 to 3. We are all sinners by nature and by choice. Everyone, all of mankind is under God's judgment because of the things that we have done. There is no one right. There is no one who is, you can stand before a holy, perfect God and say, We're all right by you. We've all failed. It says we were dead spiritually, we were enslaved. Uh, to the world, the flesh and the devil, and as a result we stood condemned. We were guilty in the dock before a holy and perfect God. We'd all failed God's law somehow, some way, multiple ways. That's the first one. That's kind of the way God looks at humanity. We all, and we all know that. Intrinsically, we all know we are flawed and we, are, we, we fail in so many ways. We even put our own kind of moral code together to justify our righteousness. But what we all find is we all fail even our own moral standards. We all think we'll do this, we'll do that, and then we find ourselves failing that. So we fail our own standards. How much more do we then fail God's standards? But then the good news, verses 4 to 7, gospel just means good news, and in Christian we have the gospel which we proclaim, the good news of Jesus, and the, basically the, the big idea of that is because of God, everything's changed. Because of Jesus, everything's changed. We weren't in that hopeless, helpless situation, but because of God, everything's changed. And verse 4 actually begins, but God, but God. It says, we were dead, but God made us alive in Christ. We were enslaved, but God raised us up and seated us with Christ in heavenly places. A position of honour and power, not because of us, but because of what Jesus has done. It said, we were objects of wrath. We were under that righteous judgement. But because of great, God's great love, he had mercy on us and he shared us with love. And it's all because of God. It's all because what? of God's, um, what God has done in our life. And then we come on to this sort of final section, verse 8. And I just kind of want to look at two things today. The first one is, it's all about Jesus. And the second one, um, the results um, it results in our salvation, what comes out of us. And so the first bit there, it's all about Jesus. It says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is a gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one can boast. Okay, what Paul said in verse 5, he made this little aside, okay, in my Bible it's kind of got a little sort of line either side of it, for by grace you've been saved. Paul then comes back to it in verse 8 and basically says well, right um, I'm going to expand that and he says um, he wants to underline that the fact that you're a Christian the fact that you have made that commitment to follow Jesus is actually all a work of God and it's all by God's grace now grace just means the unmerited favour of God it just means that God has chosen totally in and of himself not depending on us to, to look at, upon us with favour with love with mercy Take the most pitiful, most kind of depraved character and decide to look on with grace and mercy and that's what God has done with us. And it's so much more an extreme one because God is so holy, so pure and so right and we're not and we were so far from him. But he has chosen to look on us like that. That's how he's chosen to react to us. And it says, then it's this grace then works itself out through faith. Through faith, putting your hope and your trust in God. That's all that is. And so you have the grace of God at work and our response to that is faith. It says, by grace you have been saved through faith. Putting your hope and trust in God. And the two of them come together. They're kind of inseparable. God's grace is poured out of us and we respond in faith. You don't really have one without the other. And so the grace then becomes sort of the ground for our salvation. God's favour becomes what we stand upon. But the way we gain it, the way we gain access to what God has done in our lives is through faith in Him, through simple faith alone, uh, not through anything Else. And so when, if you've become a Christian in this room and you know that, you will know there became a point in your life at some juncture where you chose to make that commitment and put your trust in Jesus. Someone might even have described it like that, you know, put your faith in Jesus or... and you made a commitment and it would have been articulated somehow in a prayer or a response of actually saying, God, I am going to choose to believe in you. I'm going to choose to believe what you have done. I'm going to choose to believe in your death and your resurrection, I'm going to choose to believe that you died in my place, and I'm going to take what you've done, and I'm going to accept it for myself. Not kind of because we've earned it in any kind of merit, meritorious way or any actions we've done, but it's just simple faith. I'm going to, ch- and I'm going to um, follow you for the rest of my life. And if you're a Christian, you would have gone through that process at some point. I remember me when I, when I did that, and kind of the impact that made on my life. I'd live the life of trying to earn my way to God. And failed miserably, failed by my own standards, failed horrendously by his standards. And I remember just coming to that point of actually, I've just got to trust and put my faith and trust in him alone. And from that point, everything changed for me. And then Paul goes on to describe that that is a gift. It is a gift from God. Now, if you've ever received a gift, it's not something you've earned, it's something someone just gives to you. That's why it's called a gift. If, it's, if you've earned it, they call it a salary or wages because you, know, you deserve it. But gifts are just wonderful things that people give you. We've just had, um, four weeks ago today, our little boy that Mel was carrying, Asher, was born. And one of the things you notice when you have very small children is they are absolutely showered with gifts. They are just, we have got, even this week we had something through the post for him. It came addressed to him, to Asher and it was a lovely little outfit that some people had sent us and we had uh, my brother and his wife came yesterday they hadn't met him before and so they brought gifts and he has just got he's got more gifts than I got for Christmas and birthday for the last few years combined and he's like this big and, but he just, rece- he just gets them but the fascinating thing is he's four weeks old he has done nothing to earn them I mean he's done nothing and the, the other thing is he doesn't even know he's got them most of the interesting ones his brother has taken and because he liked the look of them and because he's two he can kind of cope with them and he's like I'm taking them. he has actually given one Asher has one little kind of snail rattle thingy that he can chew that Levi thinks well that's Asher's but everything else Levi's just taken and think oh they, these are Levi's now Asher's too small to even realise that but he has been showered with gifts and he has done nothing to earn it Nothing at all. And the same with us, our salvation, that grace we've received, even the faith that we've used to respond is a gift from God. That's what it says. You can't get around that. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God. So, that means that the grace that God has poured out on upon us is from Him. But the faith that I, choose, I use to respond to that. Is also from God. So look, think back about when you, Christian. If you, if that is your experience in this room, you think, well, I was at a a meeting. I was talking to a friend. I was at a youth camp. I was, I was in this situation, and something was explained to me, or maybe it's explained for the tenth, hundredth, thousandth time, and I suddenly got it, I suddenly saw it, and, and, and from that I responded, I prayed a prayer, I stuck my hand up, I went to the front, I, I said to a friend, a colleague, a youth worker, a parent, can you, can you pray with me, can you lead me through this process, and so you feel very much I was actively involved in that, which you were, but the truth of the Bible is the fact that you could do that was the grace of God and God gave you his grace and he gave you the faith that you can respond. And you, you might say, yeah, but I, I, I got up and went to the front. And the question is, who, who helped you do that? Who gave you the strength to get out of your chair and walk to the front? I, I prayed a prayer. Yeah, who gave you the words to pray? Who gave you the strength to even kind of comprehend that? And it all comes back to God. Your salvation, my salvation, our salvation is all found in God. You cannot get away from that. And if you ever do, you are in trouble. Big trouble. If you ever get away from that and think, actually, I'm involved somewhere. My, my smarts, my intelligence, my kind of know-how got me to here. You are on the road to a very bad place because the Bible makes it very clear. By grace you have been saved through faith and that is not your own doing. It is a gift of God. To sum it all up, it's all about Jesus. It's all about God. It's not about anybody else. It always comes back to him. If you're ever in a church situation, a Christian situation, and someone asks you a question about the Bible, about God, the answer is always Jesus because in a roundabout way you're right. Okay? because they can ask you anything, just Jesus, I don't know, Jesus, anything, because eventually you'll get back to him. Okay, so in a roundabout way, you're always right. It always comes back to him. When we started the church here, Mel and I, one of the things we kind of, what what are we going to make this about? What are we going to build on? And it, it came back to that phrase, it's all about Jesus. We put it in our purpose statement as a church. Our purpose statement is we believe real life is all about having a relationship with Jesus, following the model of Jesus, and changing our world with Jesus. So it's all Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. It all comes back to Him. That make it about, and, and our salvation, the fact that we are Christians, the fact that we're here now, the fact that this church exists, the fact that any church exists, it's all about Jesus. And the reason, Paul. If you carry on, what does Paul say? Not a result of works, so that no one can boast. Okay, that is a big. Deal, those two works, works and boasting. Works just um, refers to, Paul's just referring there to works of the law, works of legalism, basically general human effort that makes us acceptable to God. Or we think, sorry, makes us acceptable to God. We think, all of us, whether you're a believer or not a believer, thinks that things that we can do kind of that, that justify us, that make us. Good compared to others that, that um, um, make us kind of better in a level we all have a standard that we think we should be living at and if we see others fall short of that standard we think we, we want them to come up and live to our standard and it's, it's prevalent in all faiths And it's even prevalent in, um, in even if you think, well, I'm an atheist and I don't believe. I've met atheists who are incredibly moral and actually right and wrong. And I always find that funny when an atheist talks about right and wrong, because where's that coming from? But we all have this kind of idea. We have a moral code, which is what's right and wrong. And it's it's our desire to kind of make ourselves acceptable to God and acceptable to one another and justify right and wrong. And basically, Paul's saying, you know, you, you, you can get close to God by doing that. You've all failed, you've all fallen short and whatever standard of righteousness you put in is not enough for God. Paul describes um, that, you know, that standard of righteousness because he, he lived it, the guy who wrote this, he lived at the ultimate standard of righteousness that kind of probably ever was been. He was a, a Pharisee, it describes in Philippians. He was the most holy, the most righteous, follows God's law um, kind of perfect, perfectly. He was part of this group that did it and they followed every one of God's moral laws and they, they added extra laws which they also followed to help them keep the big laws. And he, he, he lived that life perfectly. Then he described it, he said he got to a point where he realised all of that was rubbish. And if you've got an English translation of the Bible, they, they translate that nicely. If you read the commentaries, that word actually isn't rubbish, it's, it's excrement, it's poo. It's, you know, think of the, the worst words of that. That's what it is. I count that all as rubbish compared to knowing Jesus, he says. And actually, those works, those... Things that we try and do to make ourselves acceptable to God, even as we try and do, it, you know, read my Bible, I pray, you know, I give, I come to church, I go to life group, I da da da, I was nice to people this week. You feel that earns you brownie points, and therefore God should listen to my prayers and God should accept me. And it's all rubbish. It's all rubbish. We're accepted only in Christ. And he it goes on to say that no one can boast. Boasting, basically, is look at me, look at me, look at me, look at me making everything about ourselves, making ourselves look better, making ourselves feel better, making ourselves be smarter. And we all want to boast in something we've got. We want to be smarter, richer, faster, cooler, um, better at our jobs, better paid, all these kind of things. And that's what boasting is about. And we, we see it, just any kind of magazine or something, the celebrity culture, it's all about look at me boasting and everyone wants their 15 minutes of fame and people do the most crazy things to be famous, to be seen, so people are looking at, at them. Um, and it's, it's staggering when you actually look at that. I, when Mel was in hospital after giving birth to Ash, she said, go and find me some you know, trashy magazines from the you know, the, the shop downstairs. So I went and bought a selection that says you could sit and read while she's recovering. And they're, they're just... I mean, they're hysterical when you actually look at them or what's in them and this whole kind of... People have got photo of someone going to the shops and it's on the front page. J-Lo goes shopping. Who cares? But she's gone shopping, you know, and this is what she's wearing. But it's there and they sell and I'm buying and I'm reading it. You know what I mean? Wow, look, look what she wore. She only had old jeans and a T-shirt on when she went to the co-op down the road. You think, well, of course she did, you know. Um, but we're reading it and it's all this kind of... and. We all want, look at me, look at me, but when it comes to our salvation, no one can boast. No one can boast, because it's all about Jesus. And if we ever find ourselves in position to, to look at me about it, I'm, I'm smarter, then actually we're, we're losing something, because it all comes back to Jesus. We cannot take any credit for our salvation. We cannot. And this, this hits at the biggest human problem there is, which is pride. We think we're it. We think we're the centre of everything. We think we're smarter than everything. We think we can work out. We think with the three pounds of meat between our ears, we can suss out the universe and we can declare things like, there is no God. Are you for real? Seriously? That little organ in your head can really suss out the meaning of the universe and actually say, there's no God. When we go back to the beginning, we get to Adam Adam and Eve in the garden. What was their problem? What was their sin? What did they fail at? They wanted to be like God. That's what the serpent said to them. That's what he said. If you eat, you will be like God. Appealed to their pride and they fell over it straight away. And we've been struggling ever since. And our salvation is not about us. It is all on the initiative and work of God. So you cannot take any credit for it, which is wonderfully releasing it is wonderfully releasing thing. I've just received the most awesome gift in the universe and it's not about me I just got it I was just given it and I can just enjoy it you don't have to strive you don't have to earn you don't have to push yourself how do I make myself better how do I make, make myself acceptable to come to church do I have to act a certain way do I have to be a certain way do I have to have my life in order do I have to everything? do I have to know all my Bible no you're just accepted by God and he says come to me I've saved you. And I want to have a relationship with you. So all the glory goes back to him. All the glory goes back to him. And if if you've been here when we're going through the whole kind of Ephesians, that refrain came out in the first chapter. It's all about God. It all came back to him. The fact that we've been saved. Even in this section, it shows that the, our complete fallenness, it shows God's initiative and His mercy. And so what's the result? It's all about how wonderful He is. He's saved us. He's called us. He has done all those things we saw in chapter 1. He has forgiven us and He has redeemed us. He chose us for the foundation of the world. We're now His children. He's given us the Holy Spirit that we may live lives that please Him. It's all about Him. All comes back to Him. And we are, we are saved purely as a gift and by His grace. Alright, let's move on to the next one, number two. This results in action. This results in something. Like the plum tree, it's a plum tree. Therefore, ergo, it produces plums. You know, that's what it does. We've been saved. We are Christians. What does it result in? Something should happen as a result. And if we read on, it says, For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in it. Alright, first one, workmanship. Uh, another way of translating that word is we are, we are God's masterpiece. That's the kind of the essence it's, it's getting out. We, God has done something and we, we display that as his masterpiece. Um, when you think about uh, famous works of art, um, you know, kind of these world-renowned works of art one, the, the kind of, the, one of the responses ma- you know, that's magnificent there's a sense of awe it produces in us as we look at it a kind of a wonder but one of the other responses it produced in it was who is responsible for that when I was um, uh, 17, 18 I was at A-levels um, doing my A-levels and one of the ones I took was ancient history and I really lucked out because one of the things they did there was they did a, they did a field trip and when you're doing ancient history Romans and Greeks where do they take you? Italy and Greece. It was fantastic. I mean, I didn't realise that when I started the course, but one of the field trips was to Rome, and we went to Rome, we looked at kind of a lot of these ancient sites, and we went to the Vatican in Rome, which is just an absolutely breathtaking place, and we went to the Sistine Chapel. We went into the Sistine Chapel, and when you go into the Sistine Chapel you just stop because you hit people, because everyone's doing that. Everyone's literally looking up, cricks your neck after a while, but everyone is staring at the ceiling because the ceiling in the Sistine Chapel is one of the kind of artistic wonders of the world. It is absolutely breathtaking. It's this massive, massively high vaulted ceiling that was painted kind of from end to end with these famous images. The one in the middle is the one of them, um, the fingers, God and Adam kind of touching, that's probably been ripped off and ETs appeared, you know, ever since. If you search on the net, you find all the ones kind of people have um, made jokes about it, but the original is absolutely <coughs> breathtaking. And I remember seeing it for the first time, just be thinking, wow, that, you know, that is incredible, seeing it in the flesh. But then the question is, well, who, was the, who, you know, who put it there? What happened? And it was a guy called Michelangelo, who, um, I think was actually a sculptor, but he somehow got kind of, got into, the, the Pope's asked him to, to paint this, the chapel, and it took him years, and he literally painted it all on his back. He had to lie kind of on these scaffolds, Hunt's foot in the air, to paint this, this incredible image. Um, and it was just, it, you think, what a man, what a gift that he could produce that, which hundreds of years later still exists. And people come from all over the world to look at this. You know, the, who, Do you ever sit and look at the ceiling in your house? It's probably one of the least looked at places in your home, except maybe above the bed when you're lying in it, but then it's usually dark. But do you know what I mean? People come all over the world to look at that and actually it's wonderful who, who, who made that. And we in the same vein, now if you look around now you probably don't think masterpieces, you know, not so sure, but we in the same vein are God's masterpiece. And when people look at us and transform lives it brings glory to the artist. It brings glory to the artist who is God. So we are God's workmanship and it says we are created in Christ for a purpose and that purpose is good works. And if you think about things in life, everything's created for a purpose. Everything. We're going to go home after this and most of us will have lunch and we'll have a knife and a fork probably and they're created for a purpose. A knife is designed to cut and the fork is designed to stab and put it in your mouth. I mean, they're, they're very simple things but they're designed for a purpose. They're designed to do something. Even works of art are designed for a purpose, designed to create awe and wonder in the individual who looks upon the, um, the piece of art. Um, And so everything is designed for a purpose and we are there, we are created for that purpose and our purpose is good work. That is the goal, the result of our salvation. When God saved you, when God called you to follow him, you became a Christian, there was a purpose out the back of it. There was something that was meant to happen, you were meant to do something as a result and they were good works. That's what it says, that is the fruit of Of our salvation. God designed you, something in you, his masterpiece for a purpose. Something should flow out of that, results should come of that, and that is good works. We're designed for that. That is the consequence of our salvation. And Paul. In this letter and many of others' letters, Paul kind of has a format, the way he writes. He usually starts off with a whole bunch of kind of theology ideas, things that you need to get your mind around, which we've seen in Ephesians, things we need to understand. Then usually at the back end of the letters, there are, well, what's the result of that? You know, now you think this You know, what are the actions? And you find at the end of his letters, calls to the way we should live. Even Ephesians uh, breaks in half after chapter 3. First three chapters are all kind of theology thinking. And the final four chapters are all practical outworkings of that. And the point is, you've been saved, something should happen. If you become a Christian and your life changes in no discernible way whatsoever, I submit to you are you actually a Christian? Because something something should be coming out of it. Paul says in um, uh, Colossians 1:10. So um, walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. There's that kind of fruit-bearing um, imagery there. We're to we're to be saved. Something in us, out of us, comes these good works. And good works is just a general term for kind of godly behaviour, in Ephesians we'll be going through it it's expanded in from chapters 4 to 6 into specific areas it talks about work, it talks about home how we treat others you know, how we live our lives and so it's just that general kind of godly behaviour, attitudes, effects that show that we have been, we are a new creation, something has happened in us it says in, kind of, um, in 2 Corinthians 5 doesn't it, that we, we are a new creation the old has gone, the new has come and we are to live a new life according and the power of this Holy Spirit in us should affect some kind of change we should be bearing plums if you will bearing fruit in everything we do because we've been changed by God because we've been saved because we've been moved from death to life and the wonderful news is some of you, some of you like me have a tendency towards um, I'll put it bluntly, legalism and we, we like to have lists of things we should do and then we can tick them off and then once we tick them off we know they're done and we know we are good Christian people and we know that we've, you know, we've done right today. And your tendency is to think, well if I do this, this, this and this, I've made it today as a Christian, I can wear my badge, my t-shirt and I can be a proper Christian and I can look pride at all those other Christians who aren't so good as I am and do all those kind of things. And there's a tendency, but if you look at the end of the final verse 10, it says, we're, we're called to good works, but it says, which God prepared beforehand that we should work, walk in them. So what does this do? This is a wonderful releasing statement. Those good works which we are called to walk into, God's already prepared them. They're already there. And what are we to do? Walk into them. And so we don't need to think, right, what's my list? What do I need to do? We just need to start walking. We just need to go about our lives. We need to do what God's put in front of us, which for many of us will be paid employment, jobs, families, wives, husbands, friends, um, relationships, all these kind of things, families, um, we might be parts of clubs, societies, and all those things. We are to walk into them knowing that within them God has prepared things for us. It's not a case of thinking, I've got, to, you know, I've got to be nice to five people today. I've got to tell two people I'm a Christian and one that, you know, give them a Bible. Or you know, all these things make up in our head. We are called to walk by His grace, which is not about us. We are to walk in what God has already prepared for us. They're, they're already there. You're thinking, think about what you've got to do tomorrow. Where have I got to go? Who have I got to meet? What's happened? God in his wisdom in eternity past has designed tomorrow and there are already things that you need to walk into. So what you need to do is you need to get up tomorrow, thank you Lord that you've saved me and start walking. And God will work his purposes out in you because he's prepared them. And if you are like, if you are a Christian, you are like the plum trees in my garden when I was growing up, you will bear fruit. Because that's what they do. I would be shocked if apples appeared on the plum tree. Because you're thinking, oh, so you're a plum tree, give me the plums. I'd also be shocked if there were no plums. I'd probably think, okay, maybe I got the tree wrong. <laughs> it's not that tree. It's, you know, it's an oak tree and they don't do plums. But actually you have been saved. You are a follower of Jesus. You are a Christian. Therefore you will produce good fruit. You will walk in that and that is a wonderful releasing truth by the grace of God. He has created us, designed us and he's even prepared what we're going to do. Tomorrow, I'm alright because I know God's going to put something there in my way and I'm just going to have to walk into it. Now usually on you know, sermons like this, I like to give out homework. I'm a school teacher by trade. Um, but none today. None today. No homework today. The only thing I want us to do is we're going to worship God together and I want you to dwell on what God has done in your life, where you were what God's done with you and what the future holds and there is much that he has prepared for you and all you've got to do is just start walking you just got to keep going you just say Holy Spirit fill me for the day and then you go and get on with it you go and get on it and God will do what he does and you will bear fruit because that's what he's made you to do If you're designed for a purpose, you will fulfill that purpose because that's what you've been designed to do. And you are God's masterpiece which is terrifying when you look in the mirror, really, it is. But he says, you are my masterpiece, I have created you, you are new, you are dead, you are now alive, you are enslaved, you are now free. And you can walk into this world and you can just do what I've called you to do with no fear of, am I good enough? Am I working hard enough? Am I Because it's already been done. God gave you the grace. He gave you the faith. You don't need to try and earn it or put it on. He's already won it. He's already died, rose again, and he's sitting on the throne. You don't need to add to that. I don't know how you could add to it anyway. It's crazy that we even try. But God's on his throne. And uh, I'm happy with that.